0: Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice.
1: Welcome to My Millennial Money, my name's Shelley Johnson, I'm the new host of My Millennial Money (laughs) You've
2: taken over
1: (laughs) I have taken over John (laughs) And well I guess really I'd like to be the new host but I'm just here because Glenn's on leave
2: Oh, well, you're too busy to be able to take over fully though, aren't you? Let's yeah, be honest.
1: Yeah, and mm. I think, you know, we'll see how this one goes. He, he might end up, you know, needing to step aside. Uh,
2: well, the, let, let the consumers uh, vote, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> but it's great to have you on here, to be honest. Thank you. Mm.
1: So, what are we doing today?
2: Well, a- as always on our Tuesday show, the listeners would already know this, but it's Q&A. So, we're asking, or sorry, answering some unbelievable questions here today. But just to pre-frame, there are beautiful... Beautiful balance of career and property, and in between that is money. Because when we're trading time for money, that's career, and when we've got excess money, we go and put it into property.
1: Nice, you've got us sorted today. And I just will let you know if you're not on my Millennial Career Listener, that's my regular jam. So we're doing weekly episodes over there. It is. If you want to head over, you know come along for the ride.
2: Absolutely. And likewise, uh, Emily and I run My Millennial Property, so that's everything property related basically. And you may not know, but early on, and the new listeners wouldn't know this, but way back to episode one, My Millennial Property was Glenn and I.
1: Oh yes, back in the day. I remember listening to a couple of episodes. I think you've got an upgrade with Emily though.
2: (laughs) Well, you said that, (laughs) not me. In any case, we can't do this without tell. That's T-A-L. So big thanks to TEL for supporting the Tuesday show. When you choose TEL, you choose an insurer who cares. As a specialist life insurer, TEL has learned that the most important part of life isn't the things we own, but the experiences we share with the people we love. That's why TEL protects people, not things. That's TEL, T-A-L, protecting this Australian life. For more info, click the link in the show notes. Nice. Let's do this. So, Shell, this first one's for you. Nathan Capuano says, how do you deal with high turnover rates within teams? I recently started as a support supervisor in charge of a small admin team. In six months, I've been here and I've lost three staff across two roles. Both roles are max term and the staff has moved to something permanent. My work is now advertising to fill three roles in the team as we're expanding, but the hiring process is long and it's just me left. I feel like I've lost six months worth of progress and I'm back to where I started. Have you ever been through something similar and how did you overcome it?
1: Yeah, it's an awesome question, Nathan. There's a few things. So the first thing I would be looking at is if you haven't already done this, when people are exiting, talk to them, have a conversation. So HR usually do exit interviews, but as a manager, if you're losing people rapidly from your team, have a conversation with them. And see what it is that's causing them to move on now, if it 's purely because they're going to a permanent gig somewhere else, well then that's going to be a difficult thing for you to address but usually there's a primary reason and a secondary reason so find out what the secondary reasons are because you might not be able to offer them a, a permanent contract, but you may be able to address certain things that are in those secondary reasons, like we don't have enough fun there's not enough social activities the culture here needs improvement. Any of those things as a leader, you can influence. And I think that's a really important step to take to make sure you can retain people. Ask them, this is a really good question. So, write this down if you're listening and you're a leader. What would it look like for you to stay? Mm. Even if they've already resigned, you can say, what would you have needed to stay here? And ask them for multiple examples of that because the more data you get, the more insight you can have about what you need to change. So, that would be my first thing that I would do in that scenario, Nathan. And the second thing is talk to your own leader to see what's happening in the culture that's causing that amount of turnover because it's high turnover, right? It is. Like you got a, a team of – I'm just going back to this question. A team of how many? A small team and three staff across two roles. So – Yeah, they've
2: lost three. uh, So in six months, they've lost three across two roles.
1: Yeah, wow.
2: like your team leader, like I just, total logic means, the first question I would say is how long has the team leader been there and what's going wrong there? Like (laughs) the team leader (laughs) may be the issue.
1: (laughs) Well, that's it, Nathan. Maybe do a bit of uh, self-check but... But, yeah, can, there's so many dynamics and I think it's really doing that self-awareness journey like you're saying, John, of what is it that I can do differently potentially because as a leader you have a disproportionate impact on someone's mm-hmm. engagement at work. So, you know, have a think about those things. That can be a bit of a confronting process to go yeah. through but a really important one. And the other thing I would I would explore and also just recognise in the job climate at the moment there's been a huge amount of movement. Yes. Like there's so many jobs that are being advertised. We did an uh, interview with Seek a while back and I know that Glenn did one on My Millennial Money as well that there's a huge amount of jobs that are going unfilled because so many people are resigning and moving on. And, and um, I think in that regard, don't be like it is a, probably an outcome of the climate that we're in as well, that we're having yeah. a lot of movement.
2: So are you seeing, just expanding on this, because of the unemployment rate being so low, there are more jobs available out there for people than there maybe was, I don't know, Five years ago, for example,
1: absolutely. So yes. Are you more. saying
2: to people, "Well, if you don't like it, just walk because you'll find another one"? Because there's that element, and and I try to teach our kids this, even though they haven't started working yet. But it's like we don't just give up on something because something's not right. We, but in saying that, maybe where, where's that balance between walking and staying?
1: Yeah, and I mean it's a candidate's market, mm. so there's two. Two schools of thought, right? As a as a employee, now is a really good time to get a new job and to get a higher pay rate because you can quickly yeah. leg it and up your income by yeah. finding a new job. So in that regard, I I feel like well that makes sense. the The other side of it is it's not always greener mm, <laughs> on the other yes, side. Like yeah. it's not always or like you might get a ten grand pay rise, but you actually get in there and you're like, the new culture that you're in sucks. Yeah. And no amount of money no. can fix, I think, when you're working in a toxic environment. So there's I think there's a couple of dynamics in that. But I agree with what you're saying that we want to see we want people to have grit and this mm. element of I can stick with something even if it's hard.
2: Because it's really rewarding to to see that through and 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 come out the other side and like how good's this culture. It was shite three, three months ago, but now we've turned it around. Well done team sort of thing, isn't
1: it? Yeah. And I think you need to be a part of the, really at least try to be a part of the solution. If there's problems within the team that you're in, try to contribute to at least have those conversations with your manager to go, here's what I'm seeing. Here's my concerns. Can we work through it? And if they respond poorly, well, then you look at your options from there.
0: Mm.
2: So what you're basically saying is, uh, ask yourself a few things, Critique your own position and, and where you're going and then also reach out to the team and, and ask a few critical questions
1: there. 100%. Mm. So the next question's for you, John. Sally Parish asks, what's the right balance between setting your kids up for life and setting yourself up for retirement when doing both is not an option?
2: Yeah, it's a very good one, Sally. And I, I'm imagining that Sally's got kids uh, or about to go down that path. Look, there's a few factors that we need to take into account. Uh, and we get, I get that so many times because it's like property. Okay, let's buy each kid a property and they'll be set up for life and, and whether they live in it or not, that's that's cool, but that's their own and, and I've got them on their journey. And, and I, I don't really drink from the Kool-Aid on that one. I, I'm more about if you can get your own backyard sorted, and you can create enough financial wealth for yourself, that then in turn feeds through to your to your family or, or your kids. Um, so I think it's more about yourself first, Sally. If you if you if you can't help yourself, who can you help? So you've got to get your backyard sorted, um,
1: literally and figuratively.
2: That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so, but in saying that. We can keep one eye on the prize and one eye on on the short term to say well, okay, I've got my own stuff sorted so my cash flow management plans in order I've got my insurances I've got a um, a, a strategy that says I'm going to buy assets every six months or twelve months or two years or whatever it may be i'm p- I'm paying down my bad debt on my my mortgage um, so I'm looking at all of that strategically but I'm also going to put some spare change into a kid's account on a monthly basis that's going to just trickle away. Um, And if you can do that over the course of, say, if your kids are uh, three and five at the moment, 15 to 20 years, right, that's a long time for for money to start working for them. And even if it's just to start to be able to create a, I don't know, um, get themselves a vehicle right um or they may actually be a deposit on a on a first house i think there's you've just got to don't try and beat yourself up to to the point where the kids should have a house deposit by the time they turn 18
1: what role john i mean my kids are 5 and 2 and so i haven't done any of this stuff of setting it up for them yeah what role does teaching your kids about money, like how does that come into it as well? Because like I'm thinking it's the combo of setting them up but also setting them up with the education. But I have – like I'm not doing that currently so yeah. how would I do it?
2: Unbelievable point. I think for me it's always been much more important than the here's $5, go and put it in your piggy bank. Um, and, and I think that's number one key. And we know in today's society and, and unfortunately it's not – Taught in schools because it's a crowded curriculum, and we don't specifically. And and to be honest, it's not the school's role either. It's our it's the parents' role to teach them well. And coming back to the whole backyard, we've we've got to show them by leading by example from a cash flow management perspective. But totally uh, explaining and start talking and and putting money back on the table um, from the point of view of discussion. So around the dinner table, we're actually talking about. Uh, what mum and dad did at work today or, or what mum did and, and not necessarily how much we earned, but just having some conversations around that, uh, trading our time for money and, and, um, how much something might cost and how long, how long that might take to earn. And that's a really good one that I'm having a discussion with my nine year old at the moment because he doesn't quite get it, right? He's, he's just thinks it grows on trees, right? (laughs) And we don't, don't want to talk negatively about money. Because that's what turns us off it as well. So I right. think it's got to be positive. We, we should never be saying uh, we can't afford that.
1: Mm, so what do you say instead? Because I've caught myself saying that to Sunny who is such a consumer. Yeah. Like she's mm. just like every time <laughs> – I'm sure all the parents can relate, right? You go to the shops and your kid's like, I want this and I yeah. want this. And I. I'm like, you are the biggest mm. consumer, like your mum, obviously, yeah. who <laughs> loves to <laughs> buy a lot of crap. Like, yeah. So what, what, how mm. do you – redirect a conversation to yeah. say, instead of saying we can't afford that, what, what do you say?
2: Yeah, I, I, think, I think it's explaining to them and there's no right um, way to, to explain it. You know your own kid's personality, but it's, it's saying, well, we've got a portion of money this week and we're not putting it towards that this week. Uh, but that might be something we can um, keep an eye on down the track and that may be something we can work towards and we'll we'll uh, we'll get a plan happening if you really think that's important to you.
1: And in like two weeks they've forgotten about it and <laughs> you don't need to worry. Or yeah. well,
2: probably the next hour, <laughs> right?
1: <laughs> well, that's totally true. Yeah. But I love that because I guess that's talking about priorities mm. with your your kids, but I think back to Sally's question and and think what – what she's weighing up is two priorities and they feel competing setting your kids up for life and your own retirement and so i love what you're saying john of you know you've got to get your priority that you need you need to be set up to to like survive and thrive in retirement yes and that's kind of that priority. And then the kids' side of it is having that education around it, having conversations. So I love that advice.
2: Yeah. But yeah, if you've got some, and it might be just $50 a week or $20 a week or $5 a week, but um, set up your kid's account and and have an auto debit into that, set and forget. You, You won't miss it. And that gives you a sense of satisfaction that you're doing your bit. Awesome. Mm. All right, one back for you, Shell. Uh, Shannon Barnes says, the trade-off between having a good job that requires you to live in an expensive city, therefore saving no money, but is good for networking and moving up in your career, or living in a smaller town where rent is cheaper but the job market sucks?
1: Yeah, I mean, this is an interesting question because – it's funny, I haven't seen a lot of these questions come up as much lately because there is so much movement towards remote work. So I don't feel that this, I reckon we could shift this question slightly, Shannon. So I don't think location matters nearly as much as it, it well, it definitely doesn't matter nearly as much as it did three years ago, mm-hmm. pre-COVID. Yes, so my take is that you can live wherever you want and get a decent paying job. It might not be as, as high as your current job if you're living in a capital city, but most places now, especially larger organisations, are open to having fully remote, a fully remote workforce and, yeah. and working wherever. And so I would be inclined to look at that and go, well... A, where do I want to be living for my lifestyle? Like, yeah. and I know I want your input on that because I know you'll have a great take on that, John, but I also want to be looking at, I don't think it's either or. I don't think it's either. I live in a small town and I don't have a decent salary or decent job opportunities because yeah. that's just not the case anymore.
2: Yeah, that's that's really important. The landscape's changed, hasn't it? The way we we do work, and with the way we treat our our staff to say, "Well, yeah, you can work a three day week or you can come into the office one or two days or you can you can do it remotely, or whatever." um it feels as though Shannon is what wants to climb the ladder in the career that shannon's in so yeah it it there's a bit of there's a bit of ego to play there, isn't there and and like it's good ego. Like it's not not ego
1: or drive or ambition. It could be any of those things. Like, yeah, and proximity to people. Like actually being in an environment where you have those networking events and you've got that ability to physically show up and meet people. That is totally so valuable. Absolutely. I just, I, I just don't know that. If we come back to the question, I, I can see that. Shannon's wrestling this trade-off call and I think there's more options than just the two. Yeah. So you go, John.
2: I, I was just going to say what what's the highest priority? Like is it is it career or is it having the ability to uh, have that country lifestyle and and bring your kids up in that sort of area? Because and, – and we wrestle with that all the time because I grew up in country Victoria where it's pretty cheap to live, Like uh, and we go back there, it's like, oh, how good's this? Like you, you could uh, almost retire sort of thing and, and do whatever you wanted. Um, but there's that city element or or more expensive element in the city that Shannon's referring to to say, well, that's the trade-off is that you, it's cost you more to live in that area. We might not be financially as as comfortable, but I get to move myself up the uh, up the ladder in terms of the career. What's yeah, important. and so
1: the income earning potential is higher in a shorter space of time. So right mm-hmm. now, Shannon, if you decide, well, my lifestyle, I want to be in the city because I like it here and right now I'm not saving much mm. but the opportunity for you to increase your income pot- earning potential in say, let's say you're in Sydney and mm. or you're in Melbourne, will probably happen more quickly than if you are in that fully remote working from a small town like yeah. where you're not as um, exposed to as many opportunities. Yeah.
2: I'd love to know what Shannon does.
1: I know. Well, maybe, Shannon, you can send in your info or hit us up on the Facebook community and tell mm. us, give us a bit more info.
2: Yeah, because job market sucks. I, I, I can see that that can be the case in a lot of rural areas. But in others, as you said, like the dynamics of how we work has changed so much. Absolutely. All right, three hard-hitting questions. They've been unreal. Uh, We're going to take a break and then we'll come right back.
0: If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help.
1: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even
0: visit other leading job sites. So, start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
1: So, before we get back into it, I just want to plug something that you do because I've been really meaning to book this for a long time. You do a Property Clarity Call, John.
2: I do. Yes. Yes.
1: I really need your advice in my life. <laughs> so, if I want to book a property ca- clarity call, which I do, mm. how do I go about it?
2: Well, now that you've mentioned it, you can probably go to the show notes. I'm sure Rachel will put those in. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then, yeah, you can just go to our website, solverwealth.com.au, and uh, and it'll be there front and centre to book, book in.
1: And what do you do in those calls, actually?
2: So... You'll fill out a pre-Clarity Call form, so I'll get a a brief on your whole life before we...
1: (laughs) I'm sure you can look forward to the drama of my life.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Be as elaborate as you need to. And then as soon as we hit the button, uh, you've locked your time away, then we'll we'll thrash that out. and, And just overcoming, sometimes it's short... Short-term roadblocks, sometimes it's more, I can't see the, the trees for the bushes or whatever they say. <laughs> Longer-term planning, okay, these are steps, let's, um, let's map a plan out.
1: Awesome. So, I reckon on that note, I would like to go to a property question
2: mm. that we've
1: had submitted. because That's good timing. I'd just like to get your input into this. So Nathan Byron's asked the question, my partner's parents have offered to buy a home for us if we put down a 20K deposit. The house will be in their name, but we will live in it and pay the mortgage. They will eventually sell the house to us for the price of the remaining mortgage. Is it worth it?
2: Oh, Nathan, dicey waters.
1: He needs a property clarity <laughs> call, I think.
2: <laughs> he needs a clarity call. Uh, look, yeah, I... Uh, I see alarm bells there, um, regardless of whether it was, whether you're a partner or you're married, um, I don't think changes it too much, but we, we obviously need to understand what we want long term, but yeah, when someone else is buying the home and then we live in it and then we're paying the mortgage down, etc., cetera, um, there's an element of control that I don't like about it. Would he feel that he's he's always in debt to the parents that have bought them the house? Um, What's the legal ramifications? Like, what's what happens if they need to sell the property sooner and and because they're in financial strife themselves? Um, Yeah, there's there's so many there's more negatives there than positives. They can get themselves a house with twenty grand. Fantastic. Uh, and that's the lucrative part of it. It's like, okay, got, we can get ourselves a house. All we need to do is hand over our 20 and then we've got ourselves a house. However, it's not in their name. Uh, is it? The no, house, it's not. House. It's in
1: the parent's name. Yeah.
2: So it's not in Nathan and the partner's name. So that's a risk to them. And the whole want to sell the house to us for the price of the remaining mortgage um. yeah, it's, it's, it's too many grey areas for me.
1: Too many unknowns.
2: There are some unknowns. And look, I, I would, yeah, if you want to go down that path, I would get the parents or the partner's parents to put a proposal together with fine print all over it to say, well, what are the scenarios? What happens if this happens? What happens if you need to sell the home? Where does that leave us? Like,
1: Yeah, because I think about this of... If we look at that, there's obviously some big positives if you're able to kind of – if there's that really high trust in the family dynamic and they're really financially set up. Like I'm thinking about if the partic- if their parents are really financially secure and it's very unlikely that something would happen. But I think in this scenario, there are the it's the unknown unknowns. Like mm. there's a couple of grey areas like you mentioned of what happens if they have a financial hardship out of the blue and then all of a sudden they're like, crap, we need to sell that property. And Nathan's left in the lurch. But I also think about if you do have a really beautiful relationship with your parents that you, you would be unlikely to see any of those things happening, you'd still want some kind of contract, I would think, yeah. if you're putting in 20K.
2: Oh, even, yeah, absolutely. Even if the, everything was perfect, you would still have an agreement written up. Devil's advocate, what if Nathan split up with his partner?
1: Mm.
2: Where does that leave him? Now, the the parents of the partner, they'll look after that child, right? So Nathan's been paying, contributing to this mortgage and being having a roof over his head. However, he could walk away with nothing. Now, Nathan might be sitting there saying, cool, John, i got that under control. I, I, I know the in-laws, they're good people. That won't happen and I, I, I love who I'm with and that's not going to happen. But you don't know, do
1: you? Yeah, it's... Yeah, I feel the alarm bells, the red flags on it. Mm,
2: yeah, but love your creative thinking. Uh, maybe it can be done another way and that's what I would look to this. I'd, I'd explore some in-depth, some other ideas that we could come up with that's going to tick the boxes that are less riskier.
1: Can I just ask, I know we want to, we've we got other questions to move on to, mm. but do you look at in this scenario, John, like what is the parent's motivation for doing it? Is Because if the motivation is purely to set your kids up, like – there's like a, a good driver for it. Mm. But sometimes I wonder if, if we, when we're making big calls like this, you really want to know the drivers and the motivators.
2: Yeah. Like, if I was the parents, it's a great question, isn't it? What you've just said. Like, why why would you be doing it? Like, why would I be doing it to, to, my kids. Um, I, I suppose there's that fear, isn't there, of uh, how is the next generation going to afford a property? So, I'd say that's the number one concern I would get when I when people reach out to me. It's like, well, how can we help our kids get into the property? Like the first question, Lex right? Like Sally's
1: question. Yeah.
2: So, there's probably a big element of that. Um, but yeah, it's it's really down to, well, can they why can't they put it in? Why can't they have a parental guarantor? Yeah. Like that that makes natural sense to me. And, and the 20, 20 grand, they may get their 5% deposit and hand that over, have a parental guarantor, everyone gets on with their life, pay down the mortgage to the point where it's at 80% loan to value ratio and then take the guarantor off the loan, and Nathan and the partner live happily ever after.
1: Yeah, Christmas miracle.
2: Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, obviously need to know more about Nathan's details and everything else but
1: All right Nathan, yeah. time to book a clarity call. <laughs> <laughs> All right, where to next?
2: All right, so Narissa Ung says, changing career paths and how to go about it.
1: Ooh, good one. This big, is big.
2: right <laughs> up your alley.
1: <laughs> such a big question though. It like is. It's like a, a very short sentence but it's big. Uh, there's so many factors when it comes to yes. changing your career. And there's this awesome research by MacRindle Research Agency in Sydney who talk about Millennials and Gen Zs will have between three and five career changes in their lifetime. And I think about that, John, and think if you haven't already, if you're 30 and you haven't already had a career change, it is coming. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like it's coming if you think about the odds. So it's really helpful to prepare for it Mm. and to look down the line and think I need to set myself up for even if I don't know what my next move is, that I'm going to get to a point in my current career where I get sick of it or I'm bored and I need a new opportunity.
2: So, what are you seeing there as the major reasons as to why there's so many career changes? Like, Because the previous generation, it's like one job, like my, my father-in-law literally started at one school and finished at that school 35 years later.
1: Well, teaching is the exception. <laughs> teaching is <laughs> no, the, the exception. Teachers
2: are getting out altogether, aren't <laughs> well, that's they?
1: That's <laughs> right. But up until now, teaching has been a career for life compared to a lot of other industries, right, but okay. I get what teachers, the burnout rate right now is so high. Yes. It's a full-on gig. And you know what? Just while we are on this, it really irritates me when I hear people – who don't work in teaching say, oh, teachers have it so easy, they get heaps of holidays. I'm like, you have no concept of what teaching is like. No. Like it's a full-on gig. Yeah. So if you're a teacher, we love you, you are amazing and we just want to say thank you for all you do.
2: Yeah, shout out to National Teachers Day, whenever it is.
1: Oh, so sorry. <laughs> that was an aside but That's an important bit a, one. <laughs> bit of
2: a rant. turned into my a rant here today with Shell. <laughs> <laughs> so,
1: I love teachers yeah. and uh, they do an amazing, they amazing do. job.
2: Yeah, so changing the career path. What, what are we doing?
1: <laughs> yes, How so do nice. we
2: go about it? What's the steps? What are our top three? Okay,
1: so the first thing we need to do, Narissa, is diagnose the problem. So one of the things that I think people do, John, when we have this career crisis, so where all of a sudden we've been, you know, in nursing, let's say for 10 years and we're like, oh, I'm over it. And then we go to this like career wheel of fortune where we just spin the wheel and we go-
2: Larry Emder. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Is that who the host was? Yeah, used to be. I think I would have been like eight years old. Yeah,
2: showing my age. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, (laughs) so you go to Larry, he spins it.
1: Spins the wheel and we just go, ooh, what do we, we kind of like just pick on by looking at a range of options and and go, let's hope for the best. So instead of doing that, we want to really get clear on what the problem is in our current environment. Right. So really do that deep work to think through What's not working for me about my current job?
2: So is that because that if we don't do that, that problem may reappear in the next exactly. job? Exactly. Yeah,
1: okay. Yeah, that's exactly right. So we we could say, well in my current job I'm in project management and I'm over it, so I'm going to go and manage a team at a, in a call center in a contact center. Right. But maybe the thing about the project management job was dealing with people. Nonstop every day and running and helping people manage their workload and you go into a, a manager of a contact centre and you're doing the exact same thing just in a different career.
2: Yeah, okay. So we
1: need to work out what's at the core, what's the core issue and then from there we can start to understand, well, when I look at career opportunities in other industries and areas, I want to make sure that I'm assessing whether that same thing will show up in my new
2: Right. Role. Okay. So we really need to, before you get onto the second point, um, take ownership of our own actions and personality because if we're playing a a blame game in this existing role, that's not – and if we don't understand that that's the case, that's going to follow us into that next role, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and it's really taking ownership over – I guess one of the things we see, John, is that, you know, People, I had a, a good friend of mine, she was a chef for 10 years and she found herself just moving from restaurant to restaurant to restaurant because she would get sick of each thing and then it finally dawned on her. She's like, it's not the organisation I'm working, it's not the restaurant I'm working in, it's actually the career. Right. But it took, she, she kept thinking that it's, oh, the people I'm working with or the head chef who's not very nice or yeah, all those yeah. things but it was actually, no, you're just sick of cooking for people yeah. which and is Yeah, and you always fine. found a problem. Yeah, and so and and so I think one of the things that we need to work out is that's really where you spend the bulk of your time working that out, and then from there you can trial and error a few things. So one of the recommendations I have for anyone in this spot is you want to start to do a job preview. So you know when you go to the movies and you see the trailer, yes, I love watching trailers. They're great, aren't they? And you get to see. Well, I want to do that. I want to see that movie, or I don't want to see that one. It's the same in the job in the career change process, get as much insight and as many previews into different jobs as you can to get a sense of is this going to align with my strengths, with my values, is this job something that I want to do because that can really help clarify for you what your next move is.
2: Yeah, that's good. So generally speaking when we do that preview is what we see on the surface Also under the bonnet or, like, it just gives us a a starting point, I suppose, does it? Yeah,
1: you're right. It's not always a little glimpse into something. doesn't necessarily give you the full picture. So I encourage people to, if they can, try and get a a volunteer arrangement going with someone.
2: Mm, I love that.
1: And I know, like it can be hard to do that. So you might need to pitch. Like if I wanted to get into property investing as, or let's say buy, become, I wanted to become a buyer's agent. Yep. I'd come to you, John, and I'd say, you have this business. I love what you do. I'd love to learn from you. Would you consider having me sit in on some of your team meetings and, and volunteer and do X, Y, and Z for you for a period of three months? Now that's going to cost me, but it's also going to cost you because you're going to have to invest in like- Time. Time into that. But the cost of not doing that and just jumping ship and going into something like, you know, with the Wheel of Fortune idea is higher than me investing three months, maybe three hours a week, with you as a volunteer,
2: yeah, I love that. Yeah,
1: and, and I've seen people do that really well, and they mm. they reach out, they approach, they say, "Could I do this?" They and that's a way to get into the industry. Yeah. You get a reference out of it.
2: Yeah, I actually one of my buyers agents that I works for me now actually did that. Yeah, and, right. and, and reached out and, and said, "Yeah," and loved the personality aspect. He's relatable and everything else. And then the fact that someone's putting their hand up doing that shows some sort of uh, initiative and drive, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, and, it, and I mean, was he in a different career or role beforehand? No,
2: he, he was in the same industry. In and real estate? In real estate and had been a buyer's agent but not with me. Yeah. Right.
1: But how good that he kind of connected with you and then all of a sudden he lands a gig out of it.
2: Yeah, and, and that – to be honest, if he was in an interview process, I'm treating him very differently to to someone that's put his hand up and said, oh, I'll come and do some work for you.
1: Exactly. Because
2: of that issue.
1: And if you, uh, it is actually, that's such a good example because as a small business, small businesses are often more open to that than say a larger corporate yes. because they're just like, we don't have time or yeah, get or whatever. in line get in line yeah there's there's a bunch of other people who've put their hand up but I think if you do know a small business and you want to go from nursing to marketing and you know a marketing consultant that's got a couple of people hit hit them up and sh- and do this process and see what comes out of it
2: yeah no that's great
1: all right there you
2: go Narissa. I hope you've um, got your steps in place to go
1: and come and listen to my millennial career for more
2: yes <laughs> shameless I, plug maybe maybe you should do clarity calls <laughs>
1: Maybe. Okay. All right. This is an anonymous question, John, and this person has just moved from Newcastle to Sydney. So let me read it out. I'm originally from Newcastle and the lifestyle and cost of living are so much more reasonable. We're starting our family now and we're realizing we need more space, which comes at a premium price in Sydney. I don't love the idea of pay, paying $1 million plus for an apartment in a suburb I'm not excited about living in. However, in Newcastle, there's no career progression for me in my current role. W- what would you do? Rent forever in Sydney and build a career and put money in, in into investments rather than your own home? Or would you seriously reconsider moving back to Newcastle?
2: Yeah, very good. Uh, I think that's got a, a similarity to Shannon's question earlier, wasn't it, about the city versus country to it. Um, So we may-
1: I'd like to clarify, Newcastle is a great thriving metropolis. (laughs) It is, it's like number six
2: or seven in Australia on population scale. But yes, you're right, Anonymous, it is cheaper. Um, And and I'll, I I suppose, hand it to you to talk the career bit in a moment. But I, I think what's going to make you happy? Like, do you love living in Sydney and would you enjoy just the fact that you're living in Newcastle. If you move back there, regardless of what it cost you, and the fact that you own your home or you don't, like you can create wealth so many ways now. It doesn't have to be through buying your own home to live in. But do you like renting? Do you is is it your dream to to buy your own home and live in it? And if if that's the case, then get yourself back to Newcastle. I mean, the whole no career progression in Newcastle, I actually find that hard to believe. Um, and I'm not saying you're wrong, Anonymous, <laughs> but like it's two hours up the road and it's got arguably a quarter of a million people just in the immediate area. There's probably like I just would find that hard to I would say, well, I can't find what I want in Newcastle.
1: And both the career podcast hosts are from Newcastle and we would argue there's lots and lots of opportunity in Newcastle. So. Yeah.
2: So maybe because it anonymous is anon- anonymous, <laughs> I'm going <gonna say, laughs> to say take your blinkers off and, and actually go and scope the joint out because I think by the sounds of it, you don't want to go and spend a million dollars for an apartment in an area that you don't want to be in. Like no. that's just silly. Yeah, And I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that have done it and that's great, but I don't think you're ever going to have that contentment in your life if you do, Um, just to say that I live and work in Sydney and the whole career progression. And and I can say this because I'm in my forties and whatever, but yes, it, like, it's great to be able to do that, but what's really important to you in life? Like, what are mm. your values? Is it, is it your family? Is it your hobbies? Is it, is it uh, going for walks on the beaches? Like, what do you actually value and appreciate?
1: It's a really good point, John. One of the things I've been talking to a lot of clients about lately has been this idea of your career needs to serve you. You don't serve it. Yeah. If you're a slave to your career and feel like I have to stay here for the career progression because I have to tick this certain box because, well, I need to climb this ladder, yeah. I just think that's a really not a great way to live.
2: No. And, and who wants you to climb that ladder? Is it you or is it your parents or is it have you got colleagues that are doing the same thing and it's just a grind? Like well, it's uh, that's
1: such – you know what? There's something you said at an event – that would have been two years ago, that has wow. stuck with me ever since. You said in response to someone's question, where is that pressure coming from? Is it external? Mm. I think that's the point. Is it? Is it coming from an external person? And, and if that's the case, we need to push that off and say, no, what's important to me
2: Yeah.
1: What is the internal drivers that really matter to me? Not does what someone what does someone else think is yeah. important?
2: Yeah. So, look from a I suppose just rounding out with the property side of things. Yes, um, Newcastle has growth uh, has great growth factors in in its real estate markets. So I think just buying there will be a good investment for you long term if you're worried about that at all. Uh, and you're going to get a lot more bang for your buck if you do move there. So, look, if that was your hometown and you want to go back there but you don't think uh, you can get the, the career you want, I'd argue otherwise and um, and move on.
1: Awesome. All right. This is from Caro. They are asking, what's the best way to choose a bank? What metrics are important?
2: Right. So, choosing a bank. I think when I last checked, there was 87 lenders in wow. Australia. So with that many in mind and so many different, (laughs) with that that in mind, having so many lenders and so many different products within those lending institutions, you've got to see a mortgage broker, right? That's an absolute no-brainer. So you've got to be able to, understand, or, or the mortgage broker needs to understand your situation. So you need to be able to tell your mortgage broker what's the long-term outcome for for you, uh, what you want to do now, and then also what's your next play. And I think that's the critical part is not a lot of people know what their next play is. And, uh, and I'll give you an example of that. Shell, you're going to buy a home in Newcastle for 600,000. All right, well, mightn't get you much now, but <laughs> <laughs> let's say you are you're probably thinking about that 600K property only, right? We're just going to get that done because that's my number one goal right now and I've been saving up for the last 12 months to do that. But I'm asking you to say, well, what's happening after that? What's my next wealth creation um, target, okay? Mm-hmm. Is that is that buying an investment property? Is that upgrading your family home at some stage? Is this 600K purchase going to be long-term or short-term, Um or is it an investment property, are you going to live in it, et cetera, et cetera. So you're starting to think three to five, six years as opposed to just that short term. And only you can, uh, the, the mortgage broker can't read your mind on that. So you need to be having those conversations with the broker. Um, and then they can look at your industry, your um, salary, your expenses in your life, and then steer you towards the best lender that's going to best suit your situation.
1: Yeah, I love that about the long-term strategy. I haven't thought about that, like of it's not just your immediate purchase. Because, I mean, when you're buying a home and you're like already stressed to the max about this huge yeah. purchase yeah. you're making, um, or at least that's how, how I feel, Um the last thing on my mind is, well, what comes next? Because I'm like, I just need to get this get thing done. over the line. But yeah. I think having a broker to give you that advice is so helpful. So I'm really glad you said that because I need to make sure that I'm doing that. The other thing I want to know just as out hmm. of curiosity for my own personal benefit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, for me, I've got my, you know, personal banking, my mortgage and then I've also got my own business and my husband's business as well all wrapped up in the one bank. Is that yes. like... You know, do you have any thoughts on that?
2: <laughs> Look, other than the fact that, that that bank has control over your life.
1: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what I what they do, right? <laughs> yeah,
2: absolutely. Uh, they may be just the best product for you at the time. But in saying that, you, you want to get your loan to value ratios under check, uh, in check. So you want to be 80% as a maximum um, at all times, mm-hmm. right? Now, sorry, not at all times. You, if you go in at 90 or 95, you want to get it back up to 80 as quickly as possible by paying it down or, or the growth of the properties. Um, but I would just do a health check on that every 12 months with your mortgage broker and say, look, are these loans still appropriate for us at the time with this particular lender? Uh, because you're, what, what's changing all the time, and we did a, an episode with Rachel, Glenn and I a few weeks ago with um, from Sphere Home Loans, is in, uh, what, what the policies that the banks are giving us at the minute changing all the time. Mm-hmm. An example of that is uh, there's a lot of occupations out there that will, will lend you with no lender's mortgage insurance because you're a physio or a fireman or a police or, or whatever it might be. I'm just using a couple of examples there. I don't know if it's true or not. but <laughs> <laughs> So check your industry with a mortgage broker and say, do I qualify for anything? I've got a degree. Do I qualify for anything? So asking good questions of the mortgage broker is really critical as well.
1: And I just took some notes to remind myself that I need to do a health check on my banking. So thank you.
2: Yeah, no worries. Yeah. Um, But the, the whole business versus personal, if you're with the same lender for that, that can be quite convenient, can't it? Yeah. Right? Uh, as long as there's no cross securitization of loans associated with that. Yes. I would never want someone to buy their business using their house that, that they live in as collateral.
1: Is that what you mean by securitization? <laughs> <laughs> Correct. <laughs> I'm yeah. glad. That,
2: thanks yeah. for that definition. I'm like, <laughs> <No worries>.
1: securitization. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I think that's really helpful around the banking. I'm going to go away and do some work on mine, actually.
2: Yeah, do that. Um, and, Caro, if you don't want to use a mortgage broker, you've really. You've got to do the hard yards and and go and inquire with as many banks as you physically can, but don't put applications in because that's going to come up on your credit check.
1: Oh, mm. good to know.
2: Yeah, so do your homework.
1: Well, we've covered a lot of ground, John.
2: We have. We've talked a lot of career, a lot of property and everything in between.
1: So do you reckon, um, you know... I might get a permanent seat on this gig, and and our uh, well, other mate will retire.
2: I think you'll get a call <laughs> up. I don't think you'd be too disappointed with that, to be honest. I
1: think you'd be pretty impressed. Yeah, should go and leave more often. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Absolutely, but no, it's been a heap of fun. I've enjoyed having you on the the Tuesday Q and A.
1: Always love chatting with you, John.
2: Absolutely. Well, um, yeah, thanks for supporting the show. Thanks supporting the podcast, jump in the Facebook group, uh, ask any questions that you want and occasionally your ticket might get called out and we get to answer your question.
1: Good one. Mm. All right. Thanks heaps.
2: Until next time.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Nice little way to wrap it up. Good times. All right, John, here's a property one. I'm originally from Newcastle and the lifestyle and cost of living are so much more reasonable than in Sydney. Sorry. <laughs> <Shut> <laughs> You're
2: up. just making on your own question. <laughs> 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 oh, no, that blooper needs to go somewhere. <laughs> I don't know where.
1: Oh, tack it on to the end. <laughs> <laughs> okay, hold on. Let me get my hands straight. <laughs> 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 Pull it together. Like, why is it? Why can you read them out properly and I can't?
2: Just, I don't know. <laughs> okay. Because I get Glenn staring at me. <laughs> <laughs> the, dead, the,
1: dead the, the death, the Glenn death stare. You know what I love when Glenn does? When he starts trying to wrap you up. Yeah. <laughs> like, does he do that to you? Yeah. He does yeah. the hand signal.
2: <laughs> yeah, and then he repeats what I've, I've already said in a different way and thinks it's his own.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like I just said that.
2: <laughs> I sort of just said that, Glenn. Yeah, yeah but anyway, he, I said it better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Glenn.
1: Hi, hey, Glenn. Love ya. <laughs> Love ya. Okay. I'm originally. <laughs> okay, John. This next question's for you. I'm originally from Newcastle, and the last.